Let's get started here tonight. Uh, th- thanks everyone for joining us. This is Colin Schatz. I am Seth Partnow. A uh, quick bit of housekeeping. Apologies to those who were trying to listen to Tuesday's episode with Brian Schroeder. We were not able to kind of rebalance the audio. He was very quiet. And so uh, we've pulled that episode down, but I will have Brian back on uh, if, if, if it's okay with him uh, closer to the draft and we can we can relearn about the, these prospects that we're seeing in the uh, NCAA tournament right now. Uh, but today I am joined by someone who I have uh, been fortunate enough to work with and get to know better over the last couple of years through uh, Sports Business Classroom. But the uh, the guru of the NBA salary cap, uh, Larry Kuhn. Uh, Larry, how are you doing tonight or this afternoon where you are? Yeah, this afternoon where I am. I'm doing great, Seth. Good to talk to you. Ken, hello, everybody. So, um. Well, first of all, like explain to people what your day job is and then how one does that and then also becomes like legitimately the foremost expert on the NBA salary cap and, and okay. NCBA. Yeah, so so that's like always the opening question. And uh, I, I usually tell people before the podcast starts, be careful what you ask for, because the longest answer <laughs> I gave in the podcast to that question was 17 minutes. So... Uh, Seth, you can go have a drink, do whatever, you know, uh, come back in about, you know, 20 or so. I'll see if I can stretch it off that. No, no I've, I've um, actually never heard this before. So, so it's, really? it's, it's literally you don't new to me. To it? You've never listened to one of my podcasts? I think I've probably listened and I went and I, I skipped forward and went and got a drink and skipped forward instead of listening to this part of the podcast. <sighs> All right. So, uh, yeah, my day job and my career has nothing to do with this. Um, I am a computer scientist by education and trade, and I have worked for 35 plus years for the University of California, Irvine, and also part of that time during the University of California Office of the President uh, as a computer scientist, as uh, I've been um, an instructor at another university. And uh, that's always been my career. But for me, I've always also had some major outlet on the side. It was being an athlete at one point, it was the teaching stuff. There, there's always always been side interests that keep me interested and occupied even while I have my career. And for me, that's kind of a great thing because I can get do my career thing and have the, the, the very steady and, and solid uh, work that I'm doing, but also I can um, indulge other interests. And the NBA has always been an interest. I grew up as an NBA fan, grew up as a Laker fan because uh, I'm, you know, in Orange County outside of Los Angeles. And you know, I have, have and I was an early adopter of the internet, you know, because of my career. Certainly, way before most of the people in the world ever got onto the internet. And there were fledgling discussion groups that got together and started, you know, talking about stuff on an old system called Newsnet, uh, which is way before websites. So, you know, in, in those environments, it was kind of the Wild West and there's heavy arguing debate and everybody's talking, everybody's an armchair GM, they're talking about what their team can do better. And I noticed, hey, the rules for this aren't really documented. You know, we, through osmosis, you kind of, you, you kind of gain the knowledge of sort of how trades work and all that, but the the the, the, the real set of rules, you know, just like you can find the rules of basketball online, you couldn't find the rules for how trades work and 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 exceptions and all that. So I I sort of set out to write 
the kind of document that I was looking for. And as a computer scientist, an FAQ was a thing that was already, people contribute FAQs for various subjects. So I was looking for an FAQ for the CDA. Uh, I, I didn't find one. I set out to develop it. I mean, there was one already, but it was uh, nothing. It was like two pages of I don't know. So I, I and a group of friends just got together and started compiling stuff. I did a brain dump. And we reached, started reaching out to people to sort of fill in the gaps. And, you know, some of them were people on teams. Some of them, we got a hold of the league office and actually fortunately ended up talking to one of the lawyers at the league office who maintains the CBA itself, uh, which is really fortunate for me. And that guy's still a good friend to this day. And um, he, you know, he sent me a copy of the CBA. And it was the first time I had ever gotten the CBA in my own hands. So I read through it. Uh, it answered a lot of questions that I had, but it also raised a whole bunch of new questions. So through a lot of successive conversations with him, I got to the point where the CBA was sort of in that, the CBA FAQ was sort of in that first draft form. And I um, put it out in 1999 with the then brand new 1999 CBA. And I intended it really for three audiences. One was me. One was other fans like myself who were also looking for this. But the other was for the media because media was consistently writing about stuff and as I came to realize was getting it wrong. So I would just point out stuff to them if I saw them get something wrong. Hey, you wrote this. Actually, this is the rule. And if you ever want, there's this FAQ out there now to fact check. So that was really well received. And uh, it, it's my presence in the media sort of grew. First, people would start, you know, uh, quoting the FAQ, then calling me and, you know, consulting about stuff and quoting me. And then eventually they would start writing about me. And sort of the dam broke um, in like 1999, the New York Times wrote an article about me. Uh, and at, at right about that time, ESPN contacted me about coming to write for them because they were expanding what they were doing with Chad Ford doing draft stuff and uh, you know, the guy that you just had on David Thorpe doing stuff and uh, Henry Abbott with the whole true hoop. They were just trying to, to be in service of everybody who was an NBA fan. So I, um, it was actually the New York Times who said, hey, come write for us. And I said, you know, write for the New York Times? Okay, I'll have to think about that for like two milliseconds before saying, yeah, I'll write for the New York Times. So I did that for a year, then switched over to ESPN, started writing about the league for ESPN. I did that for several years. And that was sort of the media slash public side of it. But then on the non-public side of it, the other thing that happened was, um, you know, I had intended this for those three audiences, I said. And you know, between me, and, you know, fans and teams. I did not say, uh, and, and media, I did not say teams. I did not say agents. You know, I did not say the people who are actually doing this professionally. Nonetheless, uh, there were plenty, like teams started reading it, using it, agents, the, the Players Association started using this. And I, I, you know, you have the actual CBA, you have the league office there. What do you want this for? But they got value out of it, and they would start contacting me, and I eventually, you know, they would bring me in for conversations, eventually start consulting me. Eventually, I started teaching it 
two teams. So I developed a curriculum around that. And that sort of gets, uh, and, and then that just sort of became sort of the non-public side of what I do. And just trying to balance the public side with the non-public side with my day career, with my family, just became an interesting challenge for me. But uh, it, it was something that I managed and, and loved doing. So that sort of gets you up to basically about 2016. How, how's that? Uh, that's that that is what I was looking for. And so the really, I mean. The, the part of that I, I've heard bits and pieces of this before. The, the part of that is, that that's, that is, I think probably most surprises people who don't know is the fact that like teams and the league were like, oh, this guy, this guy knows this pretty well. Let's ask him. Um, yeah. When when was the first time that happened to you? And and was was that like, wait, you don't know this? Was that your reaction, or how did that like? You, well, you know what I mean? okay. So the first time it happened, there was no, okay, here's a specific question. Uh, the first time it was a, a team who, you know, is, is one of the more forward thinking teams who were, that team was bringing in various people at the time to just to, to come and let's, let's have a, a, a session where we'll just, we'll talk and we'll see what ideas fall out of that. And one of the interesting anecdotes I heard at that session was, in that front office, when they had a question about the CBA and they didn't know the answer, they would, three of them would split up and one would go to the CBA, one would call the league office, and the third would look it up in my FAQ. And sure enough, the one who would look it up in my FAQ always came back with the right answer first. So, you know, they, they, that sort of made it so, hey, let's get this guy in and talk about ideas. And, you know, so it's somebody I have a good relationship with to this day. You know, other people I had already been friends with before who were already kind of consulting with me on questions and stuff. But one of the big themes here with um, the teams that are trying to do stuff within and sometimes around the CBA, the league will uh, interpret the rules for them. They will not give them any advice on how to operate or any strategies for how to get around the rules. So, you know, that's where I would come in, where one of the earlier times I was brought in, it was a team that was trying to get a very big name player to that team. But also, hey, we don't want to lose these things. And, you know, what what's a sequence that gets this guy here? Uh, in a way that that's to our best advantage. So I just sort of plotted out the strategy for that happened. That trade never happened, but I, uh, again, I plotted out that strategy. Or on the agent side, it's, okay, we're going to go into negotiations for this guy who's going to be a free agent. The Players Association will help us to a certain extent, but what are we really, you know, what are the options here? And I would lay out options, you know, the, not only the standard options, but the not so standard options. Uh, and okay, if this guy wants to raise a stink and you look for this, maybe this is available type of things where um, you know, I'm, I'm just laying out, okay, th this is the different things that are possible, not really advising you for what you should do. And the Players Association might advise, okay, these are the standard things you should be looking at and not trying to look, look shine light in the dark corners. Sure, that makes sense. Now, I've, I've, so, when you say the league will interpret for them, that's sort of like that's uh, mostly, hey, can I do this? And the league says, no. Uh, well, how can I do it? You figure it out. Is that is that sort of how that conversation goes? In a nutshell, yeah. 
Um, yeah, and how often and, is the league wrong? How often, like I, I've, you can correct me on this, but I've heard that occasionally the league will will ask you, "Is like, are we interpreting our own rules right?" No, I've I've never been asked that okay. by a by the by the uh, by the league's legal office, the ones who interpret the CBA. Okay, that that group is the authoritative source, and especially the main guy there that that I mentioned is my friend. He he can say what's on what page, and you know he he understands everything so well. Uh, one of the one of the advantages I had, by the way, and like I still get together with this guy um, in Las Vegas every year uh, at, at Summer League and we have a dinner and we talk about stuff. But the conversations are always like when we talk about the CBA, we talk about it in terms of the broad intent or the, the rationale, the reasoning behind some of the rules. So that was especially helpful when I was first learning it because it put everything into a solid context for me. And once you get that, then you can start interpreting what they intend by some of the things where a strict reading by the letter of the rule might not give you that. The other thing, by the way, the one big advantage that I got by being the guy who wrote the FAQ, which can be looked at as an advantage, I instantly became the answer guy for the entire world. So anybody who had any question about the CBA, they would start emailing me and doing everything else. And I would do my best to try and answer them because just like I'm the guy who's in a, wanted to know this stuff and was asking people, you know, in the league, these guys have me for that. So I took that seriously and tried to answer them. Sometimes it was just the, you know, the read, read the freaking manual type, type of <laughs> questions, you know, uh, but some, sometimes they would ask questions that were really challenging. In fact, sometimes it was questions that the league didn't have an answer to. So uh, occasionally I would need to talk to the league office about it. And the answer was, well, we don't know because, until this actually happens, we don't have an interpretation for that. So, uh, but discussing some of those edge cases with the league office, sort of, okay, well, here's the reason for that rule and why. And then that just, all this, you know, be, having to answer all these questions for people really deepened my understanding. So that would not, my understanding of the CBA would not have evolved as it did were it not for the fact that I was the guy answering questions about the CBA, it was just deep in my own knowledge. You know, this is like the, the, the old saying, if you really want to learn something, teach it. You know, well, I'm teaching it and I'm answering every possible question about it. So that, and then talking to the best person available in the world for it when they didn't have the answer. So, so get back in a circuitous way to your actual question. Those guys know it cold. The teams will ask me stuff. And I'll even consult, well, here's where I think the limit of some stuff like this is. Because um, the league has what's called the general prohibition on circumvention, which means even if something isn't spelled out as being illegal, if they don't like it, they can still mix it just uh, because it smells funny, essentially. Sure. So, okay, what are they going to allow versus what are they not going to allow? And I will consult on, okay, where that line might be. You know, and, and sometimes I was, I was saying, okay, if you, you try and do that, uh, let, let's, let's just say, and it was trying to get around something by not guaranteeing that. Um, if, if you guarantee, if you do this and guarantee 0% of it, the league will mix it in a heartbeat. If you do that and guarantee 100% of it, they'll allow it in a heartbeat because there's nothing unusual about it. Of course, it won't do, won't accomplish what you want to accomplish. So somewhere between zero and 100, there may be a tipping point where it's, the legal allow it, and it also helps you. And let's figure out where that tipping point is and then see if that works to your advantage. 
the, those are the kinds of conversations I'll have. I've also, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of admitting to, to some, uh, to, to not being right here on stuff, which I rarely do, by the way, uh, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I, I was in, in an argument basically through a middle person uh, with a team president who was insisting that a certain rule was interpreted one way. And I was just reading the thing. I was like staring at the rule going, no, it is not. So I ended up, you know, to be sure, I like called the league office and was saying, Hi, you know, you got to talk to this team president. You know, he's, he's kind of you know, off, off, on the, off of the rails here. Um, and he said, no, he, he, he's got it right. And I'm like dumbfounded going, but, 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 and I'm reading it to him. And he goes, yeah, you're reading it correctly, but you're stressing the wrong words. <laughs> sure. So, exactly. So, you know, so even a literal reading of the CBA is not going to um, really answer all the questions. There's so much stuff in, in gray areas. It, it was an organically developed document. You know, okay, at one point in time, it was holistically you know, top-down developed, but it, it evolves from there. And each successive CBA is, okay, how are we going to change this CBA to make the next CBA? And, and you know, it's, it's a patchwork quilt of different rules that were put in at different times. And sometimes rules 100 pages apart really tie in with each other. There's one CBA where by changing one rule but not a corresponding rule, it meant that um, technically Minnesota couldn't train Kevin Garnett to Boston, uh, and they had to come up with a side agreement that let it happen, for example. So in the nature of it being a lot of what you're saying, and I, I know you're not a lawyer, but this sounds a lot like it sort of administrative law practice where it's like, yeah, that's what the rule says, but that's not how it's ever, that's not how it operates, and here's why. Um, yeah, I, I guess, and, and part of the, the connection to me being good at this, by the way, is just my background as a computer scientist, and both the law and computer science are really about communicating things precisely. You know, the, the, the law is communicating precisely in text, and computer science is about communicating precisely in instructions to a computer. So it, there, there's a lot of crossover, I think, from being able to, having the mindset that lets you do one is similar to the mindset that lets you do the other. Sure. No. So when you, again, it's that it's a living document and you're trying to kind of patch things together as things change. Is that something that, you know, as whenever the CBA is, is getting re-upped or rewritten, is that, do you ever get asked, you know, how would you draft this to like, you know, harmonize these things with the intent or is, 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 is you kind of wait till it comes out and then try to interpret it? Or do they kind of, do, do people ever ask your opinion on the front end? Three things. Um, one is that the league regularly talks to teams when they swing through New York. Um, and I have gotten a lot of opinions in indirectly through those sure. meetings. Um, the other is, I mean, yeah, with the, the meetings I have with my friend, I can't help but think, and I have, I mean, he will never say it, but I am pretty sure I see my fingerprints on, on a few things that have happened. Um, and the third answer is even with that, and, you know, I volunteered to be someone who like will proofread stuff because, you know, that rule I talked about where Kevin Garnett couldn't get traded. I saw that as when I got to CBS, like when you change this, well, what does it mean? Oh, oh, they're screwed. Uh, you, you know, and, um, and there was, there was, uh, other things about, um, 
like when the oh i i think it was the 99 cba it might have been the, the, the um, 2005 C or no, it was the 2011 CBA. They they really added the um, different salary tiers and the trades worked differently depending on how much you traded out and whether you were a taxpayer. The way they originally wrote in this hellacious legally sentence, uh, it it made it so that in certain cases taxpayers were better off than non-taxpayers, which I know wasn't their intent. So in those couple of days, they sent out an edit that made the legalese even more horrendous to fix that problem. So those were direct input I, I had like right after that. Um, and I've offered to be like a, a full proofreader you know, as soon as they, they put it out, but they haven't taken me up on that. Um, but once a new CDA, you know, they do give it to me, I get it in my hands. Uh, I, I go through the whole thing. And then for the process of updating my FAQ, it's really laborious because I'm reading the whole thing start to finish looking to, you know, okay, this will affect this question in the FAQ, this will affect this question, but then also going through the other way, FAQ, okay, where this is saying this, how does this have to change? And I end up with like two full sets of notes that I then go through the FAQ question by question and, and update. And then so in many cases have to ask a round of 100 or so questions. So, so I, I don't look oh. forward to new CDs. <laughs> so I, so, I have a question. I'm not sure I'm going to ask it, like like if I can ask it intelligibly. But when you're sort of looking at the CBA, are you how much are you okay trying to make things operate the the document like be coherent? And how much are you? No, this would be a better system for competitive balance or or what have you. If it was if it operated this way, are you? I, like, I no, I'm more I'm more former. Or do you have some no, sort of like, I'm almost I'm almost entirely reactive. Okay, this yeah. is what they did. Oh, that was a stupid idea. Ty type of stuff. It's okay. it, because I I I know that because of the way you know it's it's organic because it's uh, often developed. You know, all all the, the key changes are developed under an extreme time crunch in a adversarial environment where there's a quid pro quo for everything. You know, the, the, it's it's never going to be reconciled into a, a new system that top down is going to make a lot more sense. <laughs> um, so I, I tend to look at it more as, OK, this is the change that they made, uh, you, you know, like the Supermax. Right. OK, we know exactly why that happened. Kevin Durant went to Golden State uh, and they wanted to incentivize it a little bit more. So they put that rule in. And. The very first call I got, like on, on the day that they were done, was from a small market team going, are you reading this like I'm reading this? Because if we're reading this, we're screwed. And I said, yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> you know, if, if you're the team, you know, and, and the, the whole point was uh, a, a small market team can't pay the supermax, you know, which there, there's a, a implied premise there that if you're, if you have a guy that that's that's that good, you're going for it, and you've got to afford to have the surrounding cast around that player and pay for it. And you're a low revenue team. It's really hard to make something like that happen, and and just making it harder to retain that player just makes it and, and also certainly pay a tiered escalating tax system 
just makes it so that you can't do it. So they, they well, saw it the same way. I, and then, yeah, that's it, not to say that teams don't, but it depends on the kind of constraints that are put on them by right. ownership. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it helps to have won a championship first. Uh, the Bucks uh, tax bill this year. Um, that probably yeah, that, that probably goes some way to saying, is it worth the money? Yeah, I guess it's worth the money. Um, but yeah, so, exactly. You know, the Bucks are able to this, do it. The Spurs have been able to do it. But you know, Indiana is an example of a team that will never, ever, ever pay the tax. I mean, if well, the question is, would that would that change if they like made the finals twice in three years, and then to keep that team largely together? That, I don't like that's a different situation. Yeah, than exactly. Really and and I think that's. I think that's a question that they're dreading. First of all, they, they don't want to be in that position where they have to well, make that choice. And yeah, the choice might be, I, uh, you know, we, and it's like, okay, you know, it, it happens more in baseball, right? When you get teams that are, you have a payroll one-tenth of what other teams uh, have, and they know that they're just a farm system for the Dodgers and Mets and Yankees. Um, and it's not as bad in the NBA, but for those teams, there is an amount of that happening. It's it's funny that you say they dread that. It's like that's that that strikes me as a good problem. But <laughs> um, well, it, so, but but it's it's a it's a tough situation yeah. to have to be in. You know, do we choose right. everything about us says we want to do this uh, and not have to tell our fans no, we had to let this guy go for financial reasons. We don't say that. You, <laughs> well, exactly, they do. Yeah. But but that's you know, that's what that's what it boils down to. So that's so, the situation they don't want to be in. Yeah. So this is this might be again this might be a slightly awkward question, but if you were, are there things that you would if you could snap your fingers and change that you think would make for a a better? Well, first of all, like what like in your mind, if I when I say make it a better system, what does that mean to you? There's a, a few individual things, and I, I can I'll name like a couple, uh, and I just haven't been thinking about that a lot lately. So I, I would probably be able to come up with uh, more answers if I did. But you know, like the supermax, I never thought was a good system. Um, part of it was. You do know, you mean like the, the the? Sorry, do you mean the thirty-five percent max or the or the designated yep. player? Yeah, the the thirty five percent for guys you know entering their their ninth year in the league one, um, you know part partly like I said it was done in response to Kevin Garnett going to Golden State, but that was a fluke, and you know it's like Orlando winning the lottery, yeah, a couple of times in a row, uh, when, you know when they got uh, Penny Hardaway and Shaq, uh, you know is the is it unlikely for that to happen? Yeah, do unlikely things happen from time to time? Yeah. So if it happens, does it mean that you need to change the rules to make it even harder? No. You know, so when when you do when you do things in response to unlikely things happening at a, a rate consistent with their unlikeliness, you know, I, I, I tend to make bad decisions. So I think the Supermax is one of them. And oh by the way, you know, that was only possible even by you know, two series that were three one the other way at one point in time, you know, going, you know, flipping and, and going 4-3 uh, the wrong way. It was uh, Steph Curry being uh, on an undervalued contract at the time. You know, there's a lot of things that came together to make that even possible. Uh, and, so, and, of yeah, course, the tax spike as well. 
Yeah, and and the huge spike in the salary cap. Yeah, which is an unprecedented, an unprecedented shock to the system, uh, and bad things happen as a result of that. So rather than say, okay, that was a fluke, and you know, a whole confluence of things came together to make that happen, and something that was unlikely, but we don't. Again, we're not trying to prevent it. We're trying to make it more. They, they don't. They tend not to want to disallow things. They want to incentivize the kind of things that they want to happen, happen, right? They don't prevent KG from going to Golden State. They incentivize him to stay type of things. So, um, you know, rather than do that, they put in the supermatch rule with its unintended downstream consequences. Another thing I don't like, I'll, I'll say two other things. Um, one is the rule of extensions. And one of the things that I have always pleaded my case on, I would like, and, and, and there's no reason not to do this except for, okay, free agency sure is exciting for fans. Um, with extension. Pretty good reason. I, yeah, uh, well, <laughs> but what are your priorities, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't like the fact that you can't give your guy the same deal on June 30th that you can give him on July 1st. You know, if he wants to stay, if you want to keep him, ex, you know, and but if there's a 20% cap on how much more you can give him, he's going to earn way more than that as a free agent. So, okay, in the best scenario, you let him become a free agent, he agrees with you to a contract, and, and then you send it to him, you know, uh, you've agreed on July 1st, you sign him right after the mortgage. Uh, worst case, he becomes a flight risk because he is a free agent. You know, just let the team give the guy before uh, uh, the the uh, free agency, and, and plus every team benefits because yep. it's a it's now known this guy ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you know, so you can focus on the people that, that you're going to actually get. So I don't like that there's a twenty percent cap. And then a, another thing that I just think they got wrong is um, with restricted free agents. Um, if anything was going to change for me, it would be this. With restricted free agents, it used to be that, you know, they, um, the, the, the team would give a qualifying offer, and then the home team, you know, who has the right to match and keep the player, they would just sit on that offer until the last possible moment and, and then match the contract and keep the guy. And, you know, it used to be seven days. They shortened it a couple of times, but still. It's way too long. It's way too long. And free agency is happening fast. So restricted free agents became the bastard stepchildren of free agency, right? The, uh, the unrestricted free agents were addressed first. And by the time they got to the restricted free agents, all money was gone. So it, it, it really sucked for them. So they um, addressed it, and they did half of the job. They made it so restricted free agents could get uh, offers during the July moratorium, the ha which meant that they could get an offer before any other you know, team could you know, actually make an uh, official signing. Okay, but they didn't fix the matching side of it, right? They, they, the match, the 48-hour period to match the contract and keep the guy didn't start until after the July moratorium ended. So what could have been, okay, you, if they allowed, if they just made the match period start right away, you sign the offer seat July 1st. By July 3rd, this guy is either 
taken him off the market or or you know that he, he's gonna go um and it would have achieved all of that um and it would have made it so that teams could make offers on july 1st because the moratorium is still going to last another five years after that and you have time to to do more stuff if the team is going to match instead they made it so that they had now until july 6th plus 48 hours or they had seven days rather than the usual two to to casually make up their mind which meant that no team was going to make an offer on a restricted free agent during the july moratorium so they, they didn't, and they remained the bastard stepchild of the free agency. So they didn't fix the problem by doing that. They just sort of made it, made a rule change that didn't fix anything. And that's, that's all, and that, that this issue is only sort of exacerbated by the, um, um, I don't want to say tamper, but I'll say tampering. The rampant tampering that goes right. on, like so, it's, it's so. I mean, it effectively. No, just, no, like, no, no, no. Seth, you have no yeah. faith in these guys' ability to talk super fast and come to deals a half an hour. Um, after I, 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 I know these people. They don't. They know, no, no one's that smart. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, but it, but it, but it effectively means that, like, and this is, you know, it's sort of mitigated by the fact that teams are are somewhat reticent to use sort of, you know the full club of restricted free agency uh, uh, to, to to negotiate really hard for, you know, I think reputational reasons, but it's still, it's, it's massively like there's never any money for like, mm-hmm. why would you tie up all your money for the entirety of free agency period for a guy right. who, you know, if, if, for a guy, if you end up with is getting paid way too much because if right. he's not well, getting paid way too much, like and, you know, and, his team would just I'm match. Sure- Right. I'm sure you've done the analysis of this saying that, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the, the contract of the value of supply or restricted free agents, are probably the guys who are the most upside down on the league. Um, it's, it's, it's actually sort of anyone making kind of between the mid-level and the max it would, that, that, that tend to be in, in uh, across the league. But that's a whole that's a, that's a whole other topic. Uh, we've got yeah. a, we've got we've got a, a frequent caller to the show. Yu Yang uh, had had a question, so we'll bring him up and. and What's up, and Yu Yang? Him. Hello, hello. Hey, Seth. Uh, sorry, I haven't called you in a while. I've just been so busy, and I I, no, I, okay. I just want to get to my want to get to my question. Uh, Larry's honor to talk to you because I've always loved you when you're on other podcasts. You know. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. No. You. Um, trust me. You have like. You know, maybe millions of fans. I don't know what the number is, but you have tons of huge fans. <laughs> uh, no, because you're the, you're the expert. But let me just get to the question. I'm just I don't want to you know uh, filibuster too much. Uh, the the quick question is: so in baseball, right? They don't have the more moratorium issue in the sense that like uh, in baseball, right right after the World Series ends, like literally like the, the the next calendar day, you're allowed to you know negotiate contracts and things like that, right? I'm just asking mm-hmm. you just for your opinion. Um, why don't why don't the NBA does that? Like, I'm sure there's a good reason. I just don't know why. But why don't the NBA just say, you know what? Right after finals ends, you can start negotiating. You can do whatever trades you want, just like baseball. And that's my question, and I'll go. And I'll yeah, so thank you. All right, thanks, Yu Yang. Uh, and yeah, don't give Seth any excuses for being busy and not listening. Seth is important. You should be listening even if you're busy. Uh, so the, the the original purpose of the July moratorium was. They, um, as, as soon as the season's over, they do a financial audit and they figure out exactly what the revenues were, exactly money, you know, money that came in, money that went out, uh, you know, everything down to the dollar. Uh, and that process took about a month. 
and the the salary cap and uh, all the associated numbers around the league are based on those numbers. So your players are guaranteed about 50% of the revenue. So you need to know what the revenue was in order to know what the projection is for this year in order to set the salary cap at all. So that that audit took a month. So they just said, okay, we're going to pause for that month. It used to be the entire month of July. We're going to let the accounting firm do its audit. They're going to come by at the end of the month. We get an audit report. We'll then have the numbers. We can set the salary cap and then open it up for business. So they, over time, got better and better at doing that audit. So then they got it done. You know, they were able to get it done finally, you know, in, in around a week. Um, so the July moratorium would get shorter and shorter, and it got down to like seven days and six days. And then what they decided even more recently was, you know what? We don't actually need the final audit in order to set what what the salary cap is going to be. How about if instead of waiting for the official numbers, uh, this is the League and the Players Association, that we just agree to what the numbers are going to be. And, you know, we'll be pretty close. We, we agree to, to what we think are reasonable numbers, and we set the salary cap based on that. So rather than wait for the audit, on June 30th, we say, this is what we agree to. Therefore, this is the cap level. This is the tax. This is the middle. This is everything else. And, and the audit is therefore superfluous. So they did that. And, and now, and I agree with you, to me, the July moratorium sort of became superfluous. Um, but they kind of like it as a kind of like a cooling off period. And that's the specific words that they used. LOL, as but a cooling you know. period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a negotiating period. And it's like, but do you kind of see what's actually happening? So those are the, and, those and, were literally legitimately like the busiest days. I can say, mm-hmm. like the so the so called cooling off period was the busiest we ever were. So yeah. who, and who, by the time who's cooling get, off? Right. By the time you get to the end of the motor, by the time you get to the end of the first half an hour of. Uh, um, you know, after the moratorium starts, you know, unless you're Kawhi Leonard, every player has has committed to every team, you know, that matters. And and really, you know, I always explain it as you know, when I look at it as, OK, from the day of the draft to the uh, July 2nd about that, the entire fate of the league for the next season is determined. Right. Because from a statistical standpoint, you can pretty much determine where every team is going to fall from by what happens in the draft in the first couple of days of the moratorium. And from then, it's just like running the trial uh, and the trial is the actual season. But no, none of us doesn't have a good idea, okay, who's contending, who's, who's a playoff team, who's a mediocre team, who's a bad team. None of us don't know most of that information by July 2nd. Well, the Lakers win total win uh, the 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 over under for the Lakers this year was fifty nine and a half. So occasionally we're wrong. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, 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 is that, I won't. Is that a team? I shot? won't That's relay the shot. conversation I had with with Rob Palinka, but it, um, my conversation with him was said otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. So so to to finish answering the question, you know, sort of they kept it as a cooling off period. 
they still saw value in it, even though it's disconnected from its original reason. But it's caused so many problems. You know, DeAndre Jordan of Dallas is, is one prime example. I wish they would just get, get rid of it and do it like they do in baseball, but they see value in it. So I, a couple a couple of, of sort of random hypotheticals. Um, or hypotheticals are just, just questions. Um, there's oftentimes there's been – questions about why not have the free agency free agency period before the draft yes, um that's, what like that that's one of the things i would have loved okay so you would be a proponent of that what what would you perceive as the benefit of that being um i i well one drafting for me is certainly a lot easier um uh, you know what what you it, it, it's kind of like you, you the the draft is uh ha, has a smaller R squared than free agency does, it, you know, and trades do. Uh, well, yeah. certainly free agency. So, because so you know do, more about which guys are good by in, guys who have actually been in the league. Yeah, well, and and it's very rare for a draft pick to actually make a substantive con to, to you know to really move the needle. Yeah, uh, just to put it easy, right? Um, okay, a few players do that, but for the most, you know, thirty teams don't don't benefit from that. Whereas all 30 teams benefit from the chance to participate in free agency. And and then sort of the broad brushstrokes are in place. And now you can be drafting a little bit more intelligently. Sure. Um, sort of, the, the, this is this is sort of tangential to that, an idea that has been floated from time to time. And as, you know, in, in the... Uh, in the union of former front office workers, I hate the idea uh, because I can't imagine how hellish it would be. Um, change the changing the draft to some kind of like metered or or or, or gradually like you know worse teams have more money to spend free agency pool. That is that an idea that you like or don't like? Um, it, it it's. I I I kind of like the system as it is now, where the higher draft, you know, by draft position you're getting it. Um, I do like, however, um, Mike Zarin's wheel just to balance it out a little bit better. Uh, and and it's great because uh, you know Mike would uh, would literally walk around with this laminated card that explained it when he got into a conversation. It. Was yeah, he would <laughs> whip out the card. <laughs> and, you know, and and he, he, I was I was talking to him in front of Sports the classroom one time, and he was kind of denying that he had, you know, he, he was like ready. And I was like, well, why the hell do you have this thing laminated and sitting in your pocket then? So I I I do like his system, and certainly when you listen to him explain it, it it does make a lot of sense. But I sure. I've been told that the league just doesn't want to do that uh, drastic a change to the process. But also there are these commodities sitting out there now, right? They're, they're future draft picks that have been included in deals, in some cases, you know, seven years in the future. So how do you how do you fit in a change like that when teams have already dealt away picks seven years in the future? You know, you could say, okay, we're going to change this eight years from now, but I don't think they think that far ahead. For sure. Um, so what, what other, like, kind of idea that gets floated from time to time is, and this maybe ties in with, um, you know, the eliminating the importance of that audit and maybe also kind of reducing kind of the, the, the salience of like, you know, revenue spikes or dips is 
what if uh, salaries were expressed as percentage of the cap instead of dollar amounts? Yeah, I love it. Uh, and, well, and and the leave in, in in 2011 proposed, why don't we just write you one check and you figure out how to drive? <laughs> and, and the Players Association wanted nothing to do with that. They 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 like the fact that they negotiate specific salaries and the specific amounts that are accounted for. Now now, and I say that fully realizing that because of the escrow system, they're not guaranteed that amount to begin with, and it's still going to be prorated down to um, so that they match their guaranteed percentage of revenue. Sure. No, that that. I mean, I think that the, the reason why the players want nothing to do with that is that's that's sort of a poison pill. Here, fight amongst yourselves. Here's here's, yeah, a, pile, exactly. here's a here's a pile of money. You figure it out. Uh, you know, it's sort of like this. <laughs> it's like the scene in Dark Knight. Like I, uh, you know, I've got one job opening. Here's the two of you in a room. Here's a pencil. You guys figure it out. Right. <laughs> uh, which, you know, that's it. Doesn't seem like the doesn't seem like you the know, best but, way to do it. But there are times where the 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 um, teams have to cut a check. Um, to the players, like if they if they are under the minimum, uh, for example, the minimum team salary, they have to whatever that gap is, they have to pay that to the players on their team. And the players' association has chosen to make that an even distribution among the players, uh, just with the logic that the lower paid players, by getting an evil uh, an even proportion rather than a pro rata proportion, they're the the lower paid players are going to be. Um, compensated better for that. Sure. Um, so I got a couple more topics I want to cover before I let you go. The first one is, you know, you, you've talked about um, a lot of people sort of asked you questions and kind of built off the off the FAQ. Um, now this is it's like the cap guy is a position in the league now. Um, I know. And and so like uh, people ask me all the time about you know how do I get a job blah 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 and we'll get to the other part, the other answer to this question in a second. But like, if someone is trying to like, if that's the role, like if that's the kind of thing that like floats people's boat, like, do you have any advice for people when they kind of ask you like, yeah, I want like being a cap guy sounds fun or a cap girl, cap person sounds fun. How, how does, how does one go about getting that kind of job or what, what does one need to learn? Right. And I'm sure that that's going to be like part B of what you're going to be asking me. Uh, but it, for, for me, a lot of the advice I give to people is don't just be a cat expert. Um, it, you know, and, and I'm sort of, uh, I, I'm more of a theorist, I, I guess you would say, uh, where I don't have in my head every player in the league and all the ramifications, you know, their contract ramifications and everything like that. But the guys who are doing this for a living really do have to keep sort of a running tab of the entire league and able to pull stuff up um, at a moment's notice. So, so have not only the, the solid theoretical basis, but also the practical prior to the league today. But also the other big piece of advice I give is don't be so specialized. The, uh, you know, whichever table you're sitting at, in the front office, whatever meetings happening, be able to contribute to all of it. You know, so that means understanding scouting, understanding analytics, understanding, you know, all the player personnel stuff, understanding as much as you possibly can and being the guy who could link stuff together. Uh, I, I think there's a, a big value there. So rather than this disconnected 
thing. And, and I'm sure you've seen this with analytics and the push and pull between analytics and just, you know, coaching and, you know, sort of the, the old, old school basketball guy, uh, you know, you know the eye test stuff where, um, the, the, you may be saying the same thing in different language. You may be pointing out nuances or insights that would meld with that, but being able to communicate that and meld those things is a really valuable skill. And that way it's just not two separate inputs that are just disconnected from each other. So having the ability to explain stuff and blend it and apply it is really important. Sure. Now, I, like th- th- that is th- that is a motivated question, obviously, because um, you know the way like we we knew each other a little bit just from you know, being around, but I think the, the way that, that we've, that, you know, I've gotten to know you better over the last couple of years is you uh, invited me to participate as an instructor in sports business classroom, which is, uh, which we're, we're doing again this summer. And so I just wanted to give you the floor to talk about that a little bit. And then, you know, I can maybe share some of my experiences teaching it and, and let people know about uh, like some of the people who've been, had some pretty good success coming out of that program. Why, thank you. <laughs> so in, in, I concluded with my answer to your first question saying, okay, that takes us up to about 2016. Uh, in 2016, you know, people have always approached me, and I was already teaching teams, but people have been approaching me saying, hey, if you're going to just teach this to the general public, I, we would love to do it. And I would always say no. I, I, I like teaching, but I don't like having to put all that stuff together. And then I got involved with the guys who put on the NBA Summer League, uh, Warren Gary, Albert Hall. And they were already doing something along those lines, and they just needed it to get, get serious about it and get it better. So they hired me to come in and take over sports business classroom. Um, I revamped it where sport, we, I modeled it after college. And with any college, you're getting a lot of well-rounded education, which I, again, said is important. Um, you're getting a little bit of everything, just like in college, you're getting a GED. But you're also picking a major and you're diving deeper into that major. And you know the majors of sports business classroom have varied over the years. The salary cap has always been one of them. Uh, scouting, video, and analytics is the second one, and the media is the third one. And it's kind of tailored around not only like those predominant skill sets, but where are the jobs also, right? Most of the people who, who do get a foothold in the league, or many of them get their start or get noticed, you know, by doing stuff media related. So we, we're helping you get, get your foot in the door there. We're giving you in some of the GE stuff, you know, how do you write a resume that's going to get noticed and, and you're doing it right? How do you interview? How do you do an elevator pitch if you're networking with people? How do you network to begin with? So I developed that curriculum for SBC. Uh, I've been putting it on since 2016 and um, including the one virtual year in 2020. Uh, and this will be the seventh year this year. So those are our three majors. Um, but we have the unique advantage of we are, because I'm working with the people I am, we are part and parcel of the summer league itself, which has many advantages. We are located right inside the arena of, of some of the, the Thompson Mac arena. Um, you know, nobody else is, get, is inside the arena doing what we're doing. We're bringing everybody from the league into SBC and various teaching, speaking, guest roles. 
uh, including just or if I grab somebody and have them do a pop-in, I've done that with everybody from Adam Silver on down. Uh, but also, we're putting you out there in uh, in the summer league in more of like a working type of thing. Go scout a, NBA, a summer league game with an NBA scout, uh, and he'll point out to you, here's what I'm looking at, here's what I'm putting down. <laughs> you know, Okay, you've done that, now go develop your own scouting report the next game, and we'll evaluate it. We have our term project where we, and this goes the entire week, we divide you all up into groups of, of students, give you each an MBA team. You've got to figure out who you are, uh, you know, strengths, weaknesses, assets, liabilities, goals, strategy for getting there. You you then can start negotiating with other teams, and then we open it up for a, a, a trade deadline extravaganza where it's a live exercise with the league office, with media, with um, you negotiating with everything, trying to make your team better. And then after that, you go and you write up your results, you present it to our panel of experts, which have included, you know, GMs, uh, coaches, scouts, you know, stuff what you from the yeah. other side, <laughs> you know, and gets, you know, we don't go, oh, good job, here's the trophy for participating, you know, we, we, we will give you solid, strong feedback on, on stuff. So that exercise alone is something that you're not going to get anywhere else. Uh, you're, uh, we put you out there for networking, uh, you know, with people. You know, again, it was, we always say it's not who you know, it's who knows you. We provide you those, those sorts of connections, the opportunities to go out and start to build your network. So if you're looking to, to get a foot in the, in the door, you're not one of a thousand resumes. And in fact, um, and I know this specifically because many of them have told me if they see that somebody is an SBC graduate, you know, on, on somebody's resume, that kind of goes to the top of the stack because they know about our program. In many cases, they participated in our program, but they know the kind of people that we turn out. And in fact, we have what's called BSL talent. Think of it like LinkedIn for basketball, where you can get your information out there and lead people will either come to us and we'll go pick up people who meet the criteria or they'll go browse it themselves. So sports business classroom, completely, well, it's kind of redundant to say completely unique, but unique opportunity, um, July 10th through 15th this year in Las Vegas, immersed in the NBA Summer League. Uh, you can go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com to register. There's four tiers this year, so um, higher, more benefits as you as you go up to the higher tiers. And early bird pricing uh, is available now through the end of March, after which prices go up. So if you're going to register, I advise you to do it sooner rather than later. Well, there you go. Um, I just want like couple like you know you talked a lot about like league jobs, and when you say league jobs, we're not just talking about four teams. I mean, I think there's a couple people, uh, you know, those who listen to me on Nerdish wrote, uh, Dave Dufour, who now is an instructor at the class is a, is also is someone who's, who's been through and like that certain, I think that, you know, he's, he's very talented and outgoing and, and, but, and, and probably would have found his way somewhere without, but I think it did certainly, you know, helped him both hone his skills and widen his network. Uh, Jeff Siegel, well, we, who is, yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about Dave for a second. Yeah, yeah, he was part of my first class in 2016. And yeah, he's the kind of gregarious personality and go getter. He would have done it. But uh, we showed him the doors that he then kicked down. 
Yeah. It might be the best way to put it, yeah. where he might not have known those. In fact, Nate Duncan and I said, hey, you should get into basketball communication. And now he is a, now he is a professional basketball communicator. Um, yes. Um, uh, but, uh, but it's not just, you know, it's not just media. Uh, uh, Jeff Siegel is another graduate who is, who now works for, for Clutch Sports. He basically, um, you know, it, all kinds of, of entities are, are looking for expertise. He's, he's basically the cap guy for, for Clutch mm-hmm. now. So that they, you know, when a team says, he, well, that's, that, this is the most we can offer. No, you can't. If you do it this way, you can, you like, just having that is, is, uh, is useful. And, and, you know, agencies are, 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 you know, they, 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 they hire scouts, they hire the, you know, people who can, who, who know how to do the cap and, and, and contracts. And, and increasingly they're hiring people who have analytics backgrounds, uh, if for no other reason than to be able to, to kind of keep up with teams. Um, it's, mm-hmm. those were always, you know, five years ago, those were always sort of the, the least favorite thing is like, Hey, this guy's agent sent us a, a numbers packet. Look it over, and it would always be just like, "Oh man, why? Why yeah. don't, don't don't bother? Like, hire someone who knows something, and don't don't like this is this is like, I, I like your player, but I think less of him now because of this this nonsense yeah. you sent me." Um, well, and, so and this th- is a tangent, but um, have have you been in like some of the front offices that were built like a few decades ago, and when the front offices were way smaller? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, um, yeah. they never intended for the staffs to get so big, but that's exactly what's happened. They, there's so much specialization, so many people needed. You know, you go into the Denver front office, and it's just like a small room. Uh, you know, and it's actually inside the arena. And uh, yeah, the, the, originally there were like three guys who were who were the main people and some support staff, but now it's just huge. You know, even the new arena, Golden State, the front office is way smaller than it should be, and and. They they know it's a new arena, but it's it's still tiny. So that this is my first year with the Bucks was our last year in the old old training facility, which is actually like a converted like seminary school. Um, yeah. It was actually it was actually kind of terrifying because there's like lots of little <laughs> lo- lots of little blind corners and and you know. Um, one day I came down the stairs, took a corner. Guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, took it, took a corner too fast. And I, and I literally land, uh, uh ran headfirst into Luke Longley's chest. Cause Luke Longley was at the time. Was a, <laughs> wait, he was, he was an assistant coach for the Australian national team. And we had two Australians on the team. And, and so I just like took the corner and just, you know, I just ran into like yeah, a I, I imagine he got the better out of that. I, they were, you know, elastic collisions being what they were. Yes. Um, but then, and then, but then like after that year, we moved into like a, a sparkly new facility that, uh, had room for like twice as many people and kind of filled that space with people, filled all the desks in, in, in that space within, yeah. you know, a, within 12 months anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's based on what they didn't like in the old world. Like OKC, uh, when they built the, their current training facility, a, a few of the guys had come over from the Cavs. So they said, okay, well, we didn't like this stuff in the Cavs front office, and they designed around that for the OKC front office. Part of it was they didn't like the owner coming in uh, and doing stuff. So they put, put an owner's wing that was just completely separate from the, you know, the working part, part of it. Uh, and, and that way, yeah, he can come in, he can get into to this wing, he can go to his own office. He can't get into <laughs> where, where they're doing the actual work. 
right? <laughs> protect protect everyone from from that. Yeah. Yep. Um. So it, it, I it's I've I've really enjoyed you know teaching it the last couple of years. Um. I've still keep in touch with with many of the students that that we've had, and and I think it's it's you know it's um. I think just as as an experience, both learning how the business actually works because there's a lot of nuance that you don't see from the outside, but also making those connections both with, Mm -hmm. you know, people in the industry, but also kind of a cohort of people, um, you know, as uh, I think this is something that people learn, you know, from their college days is sort of a lot of opportunities come from like that group, just like, you know, Oh yeah, I went to college with him and he, he heard this thing and thought of me. Like that's, that's kind of how opportunities can come up. So just, you know, getting with that group. And the cohorts that we build at SPC are, you know, and, and I, I tell the class the first day, usually, you know, look around. These are, your, these are the people that a lot of them are going to be your friends for life. And it, it actually happens. But also, these are the people. If, if Once you get your foot in the door and start moving up, these are the people who are going to be in the parallel track with other things. So developer, you know, don't just look to develop relationships with the people who are the GMs today. You know, develop these relationships with the people in your class because, you know, whatever, 10 years from now, you're going to be calling on them. That's right. Well, Larry, I've kept you for just over the hour that you promised me. So uh, I think I should probably uh, let you go since it's actually uh, approaching evening out, out in California. But I am yeah, really always happy to keep talking, yeah. as you very well know. <laughs> yes, indeed. But I, I, I appreciate you coming on and appreciate folks listening. Uh, I uh, Next show is doing a I usually don't do weekend shows, but uh, coming back on Sunday with I'm really excited about this. I have uh, Jen Statsky, who is the, the, show, the showrunner of Hacks on uh, on on HBO uh, HBO Max and uh who has previously written for stuff like The Good Place. Uh it's a few of my favorite shows on television she's been a staff writer on. So I'm really looking forward to that. She's a huge Clippers fan, so we'll probably talk TV comedy and the LA Clippers some. Uh but we're doing that uh, kind of midday on Sunday, so uh join me for that and thanks for listening in and have a good night everybody. <laughs>